Good morning. My name is Seth Cast, and I just graduated high school this May. Um, I'll be going to. I'll be attending college this fall at Pasadena City College with an emphasis in uh, neuroscience. Um, our scripture reading today is Psalm 1. Let us stand for the reading of God's word. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff, that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. You may be, you may be seated. Well, I have to tell you, this is an especially good Father's Day for me because my daughter Heather is right down here. Glad you came in just for Father's Day. And next to her is one of my grandchildren, our, my oldest one, Riley. Is, uh, Riley is sitting right next to uh, Heather by, by Chris as well. Uh, special day, Chris, uh, Andy, I hope you'll never forget this Father's Day. I, I'm sure you won't. Um, so many years have gone by, but days like this become more and more special to me, and I'm glad all of you are here for it. Now, God has given us many great gifts, and we've thought about them, of, of our children, of our fathers sometimes when those are good, and of our families. But what I've been thinking about today is of all the good gifts that God gives to us, I think that perhaps the most noble, the most powerful on one side, the most terrifying on the other side is the gift of choice. Now, you may know that there are a lot of philosophies that say we human beings don't really have the gift of choice. It's called determinism. It's that group of people who think we're all sort of these uh, powerless victims of fate. Everything is determined. Even some Christians have held on to that sort of thing, not sort of knowing how it is that our ability to choose and make decisions fits together with the fact that God is sovereign and in control of everything. But I'll, I'll just tell you this. On one side, I believe God is powerful in control of everything. He's going to do what he said he's going to do. And at the same time, I'm going to tell you, we make choices. Uh, Jesus said so. He called us to make choices. He called people to believe in him, to abide in him. Sometimes, maybe this morning, he says, go and sin no more. And I'll tell you, I think all of us who are here now know that we experience life every day knowing that we're making countless choices, right? Right? Yeah. You're making choices right now. I'm just going to tell you that. You're choosing whether you're going to listen to me anymore. <laughs> whether you're going to listen to see whether God has anything to say to you or to change about your life or whether you're going to choose on the other side to look at notifications and texts on your phone. Now, you've got to know this too. On one side, I say it, it is a powerful and noble gift. But there is another side to this Cho choosing, isn't there? And that is, you and I have this ability to make bad choices. 
Ah, evil choices. And the reality is that the choices we make affect our lives, for better or for worse. The choices we make affect others' lives and the things that other people do, as imperfect as all of us are. We all affect one another's lives. So when it comes to making choices, I, I've just thought as we start into this new series that we have, um, what, what we, sometimes you get up in the morning and you find yourself having so many choices in front of you that you feel overwhelmed. Has anybody ever been there? And then I found the flip side is true. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and I feel so hemmed in that the choice already seems to be made and I, I feel like I have no choice at all. I don't know if you've felt stuck in the place where you're working or in the place where you are. But uh, also there's sometimes you and I are, are tempted to make choices that we know are wrong and even though you may know that giving into those temptations will lead to guilt and making you have to hide things from your spouse, or your children, or your parents, and even though you know it will affect negatively everything around you, sometimes the temptation to do what is wrong is so strong that you give into it anyway. You don't have to vote on that one. I know it's true of us all. So that brings us to today's new series. We're, I'm calling it Modern Longings, Ancient Words, the Psalms and Our Deepest Desires, because what we find is, beginning with Psalm 2, we find the psalmists, and there are a number of them, encountering life, going out into this world of all these choices they have to make, being affected, what everybody else is doing in their families and beyond. We're going to find them in all these situations all of us have been in. You're going to be able to relate to them. Sometimes they're in a mess and wonder how they can get out. Sometimes they wonder, uh, where can I find a place to hide from all of this? Sometimes they're going to wrestle with what just feels like mental health, depression, anxiety, or I'm just telling you, Father's Day, sometimes they just want to have a mulligan. You just want to, I want to do that one all over again. But we're not going to start with Psalm 2 today. You know, we're going to start with Psalm 1. Seth just read it for us. So if you have your Bible, I want you to look at that. And, and in Psalm 1, I, I want you to know Psalm 1 is Psalm 1 in the Bible for a reason. It lays the foundation for everything else in the rest of the Psalms. It really is different from all the other Psalms. If you read the Bible a lot, if you knew you haven't, but, but if you read the Bible a lot, it doesn't even really feel like a Psalm. It feels more like the book of Proverbs that just sort of foundationally tells us there are different ways of looking at things. So the way I read it is this. Psalm 1 sort of lays that foundation for how we make choices and then it just leads us out from that beginning into this messy world where again and again we have so many choices to make. And fundamentally, uh, Psalm 1 tells you that there are only two ways we can make choices. Only two. One, either to make choices with God at the center, where our single desire is to be where God would have us to be and do what God would have us to, to do, or number two, the choice to make our the decisions based upon anything or anyone else being the main, main person or thought or circumstance in our decision making. So, uh, Psalm 1, as you're here today, it, it's, going to, it's going to ask you to consider 
when you leave church today and you walk into this world in which you're going to find all sorts of winds are blowing and choices have to be made, sometimes winds of opportunity. Seth, which school am I going to go to? Winds of adversity. How will I stand against this? Winds of temptation. Winds of fear and doubt. You'll have a choice to make. The the book of Psalms will tell you that will either be chaff-like or rooted. All right. How many of you have ever winnowed grain? Now, I can't find anybody who's done that. Aha, one, one, Marsha. So it's an old way of, 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 of working with wheat. You'd throw it up, you'd find a windy day, you'd throw it up, and, and what you wanted to keep would come back down, but chaff had no substance. So I decided I had to show you a, a, a a quick video so you can get a picture for this. So we'll look at that for just a moment and then I'll talk to you about it. So today I'm gonna be winnowing my wildflower seed mix and it's very simple. I just have my container of seeds and a bowl for them to fall in that I've lined with paper towels so they don't spill out over the side. And I'm just gonna be using gravity and good old fashioned free wind. So what you're gonna do is take your container, put it about two, three inches above the receptacle and just slowly pour it out and let the wind take care of the chaff and it will all blow out. And you're just gonna do this maybe two or three times, repeat the process until what you're left with are only the nice harvested viable seeds. So you can see all the white blowing out to the left. And remember to dry your seeds when you're done. You could just leave them on the inside of a windowsill for two or three days and they should dry out nicely. And I can even go through this by hand and just repeat a few times. Make sure you get all that space wasting white nonsense out. You just want to be left with the nice dark seeds. And you may lose a few seeds in the process. Don't worry about it. The time that you save worth it. So there you go. Hope you enjoyed this video on winnowing and get to work harvesting your own seeds. I see you're thrilled by that. (laughs) See it? Uh, I don't want you to be that, what does she call it, that white nonsense stuff that that blows off. That's what I don't want you to be, folks here at Lake Avenue Church. And so today we're going to figure out how you don't have to be chaff but there can be substance to your life as we go out into whatever God brings into your life. So let's think about that chaff-like life for a moment. Um, Those without God, verse 4 tells us, are like chaff that when the wind comes, it just blows it away. Now again, if if you have a Bible in front of you, I want you to look at uh, a word that's used twice, once in verse 1, once in verse 4. It's translated in many of our versions, the one that Seth read, uh, as wicked. Uh, don't be in the counsel of the wicked. Uh, don't live the life of the wicked. That's not a really good translation. It doesn't really talk about wicked. It's really talking about leaving God out of life. Un-godly might be the better way. What, it, what it's saying is this. If we leave God out of our lives, we'll be driven back and forth And it will be like chaff. We won't quite know how to live because we'll be driven by our own desires or by what the world says. So he says the way to be chaff is to make sure that God is at the center of everything 
when you leave him out, then you begin making your own decisions. And really, the way he puts it here, if you look at it in verses 1 and 2, he says this way of just living our lives, making decisions without really surrendering them to God can become a way of life. Did you notice he, this, the way he uses it? It says, watch how you walk, watch how you stand, watch how you sit. Do you notice that? Walking, that means that you're kind of going through life, making decisions. It's almost a one-off. And he says, so that when you have a decision that comes to you uh, today, uh, and you're walking through that thing, make sure you don't just seek the counsel of those who leave God out of their lives. If, if the counsel, if what, what affects your decision, business people, is that you're just going to read Harvard Business Review, read all the business books, go out there and find out what everybody else is doing that succeeds, it's going to lead you dri driven because there'll be a new book that comes out. It says to us when we go out into the world, into our schools or wherever we go, if we just say, what is everybody else doing? I want to do what everybody else does. It's going to leave us feeling like chaff. It is not saying that we never listen to any counsel or advice from anybody who's not a Christian. It is not saying that. Because there is truth and good advice that can be gained from all human beings made in the image of God. But what it is saying is if you just get the counsel of what everybody else is doing and you leave God out of your life and you don't always come back to him and say, this is what is succeeding everywhere else. God, I want to follow you. What would you have me to do? It says you will be like Jeff, just blown here and there. Walk. If we walk that way, starting to live life, making decisions, actually for parents with our children, we've got to think about this. If you're making life decisions that way, eventually you'll find yourself standing, it says, standing in that place. Because following the counsel of those who exclude God will start leaving you feel pretty comfortable in God-less situations. The way he puts it is, you'll be standing there in the path that sinners usually stand on. Uh, you all understand this. Have you ever been in a place where perhaps as a churchgoer or a Christian, you go into a place, a new job, go into your new school or a group of people in your neighborhood, and at first, what they're doing bothers you. Uh, just the way they talk about other people. The language that they use. Oh, the fact that the things that seem to obsess them or things that are sexually promiscuous or, or abusive. And when you're there, at first, you're um, uncomfortable in that situation. Have you ever been there? I'm sure, I hope so. Because sometimes for us who follow God, there will be things that happen that just really should be troubling to us that happen every day in our lives. But, he says, if you walk through life, eventually you're going to be standing there. That means that you identify yourself. You feel more comfortable with those things. Things that used to bother you no longer bother you anymore. You're starting to feel comfortable. Which brings us to the third word, sit. Being in those sin-permeated contexts, always following the, the way you feel you should go or the way the world is telling you to go, even leads to you, his word is scorning God's way yourself. It, it means you find yourself sitting at work or in the boardroom or at the bar or at the gym or wherever you go. You find yourself just talking like everybody else talks. You get settled in. Do you see it? You get settled in. And it becomes who you are because that's the way you're making choices. 
All, all of this can be summarized by an old maxim, I think it was said first by a man named Charles Reed back in the 19th century. Perhaps you've heard it. You sow a thought, you reap an act. You sow an act, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, and you reap a character. You sow a character, and you reap your destiny. Psalm 1 is telling you that this is what life is like. It is a chaff-like life. It's a life that, where the choices you have are always made by ever-changing factors in this world, like what is everybody else doing? Or what, what will make that person happy? Or what do the opinion polls say? Let's go out and take an opinion poll of whatever is going on. That's what is right. That's what we should do. Or simply making decisions based upon where your own cravings and sometimes your own lusts are driving you. Now, believe it or not, this chaff-like life is what Friedrich Nietzsche wrote about in the late 19th, early 20th. Yes, Friedrich Nietzsche of the God is dead thought. Did you know that? You don't have to answer me back on that. What he did was in late... 19th century, early 20th century, he looked at all these people who went to church in Europe, both in France and in Germany, and then he looked at their lives, and he saw little evidence that all this supposed belief in God was making one bit of difference in their lives. He said that what he saw in Europe at that time was that in the lives of people, God was dead. It was as if he didn't even exist. That as he's observed the people in Europe, they were all becoming either pragmatists, which means you're just going to make a decision based upon what makes you succeed and what works. Uh, some of us find that ourselves, right? What succeeds, it must be from God. Or, or, or that they have become hedonists. Whatever feels good to me, whatever brings pleasure to me, it's a good Southern California trait, don't you think? Or they have become narcissists. Self-centered choices, self-centered decisions. He said that what he saw, and this was his word, was the lives people were living were weightless. Weight without any weight, without any substance. So he said, whatever winds are going to be blowing in our world, that kind of person will just follow that wind. And you may know it led to what happened with the rise of Nazism back in the 20th century. So you see that I'm saying... I don't want you to be chaff-like. Are you with me there? Now the question that I'm guessing you might ask is, um, how can you tell if you're becoming chaff-like? So I've decided to give you a test. Here it is. Do you have any commitments in your life that are always there? Non-negotiable. Any wrongs that are always wrong? Any wrong choice you might make that you would refuse to make that wrong choice, regardless of circumstances, conditions, feelings, or even offers of money. Anything? If you don't have anything, you're going to be like chaff. All right. Do you know the 1988 book written by Jack Englehart? It was called Indecent Proposal. It was made into a rather raw movie. It, it raised this question of whether there is anything under any circumstances that you would refuse to do, 
regardless of what happens. Anything that you would continue doing, no matter how much money that you might be offered, if you believed that thing was right. And in that story, there was an older man named John Gage who, who met these two younger people who loved one another, supposedly. They had pledged faithfulness to one another, sexual faithfulness to one another. And Gage offered them a million dollars. Together, he asked them if, if that woman would have sex with him. He said to them, a million dollars. Just think about what you could do with that. See, that, that movie powerfully posed the issue that I want to pose to you and that we're going to see again and again and again in the book of Psalms. What is it that guides the choices that you make? If anything becomes the basis for your decision-making other than I need to please God, I need to live in a way that, that shows that He is my God, He says you are going to be blown around like chaff blown around by every storm, every temptation that comes. That's what a chaff-like life is like. Now, we better get on to a rooted life too, right? What is that like? Verse three, it's like a tree planted by streams of water that brings its fruit in season. Its leaf doesn't wither. Whatever it does prospers. So, when we read through the Psalms, you're going to have to come back again, right? For this. When we read through the Psalms, we're going to be seeing these things. We're going to see that godly and those who leave God out of their lives go through the same kinds of circumstances in this world. Did you know that? Christians and atheists will be faced with the same kinds of choices. The maximum. The rain will fall on the just and the unjust. Christian and non-Christian alike will have to grapple with issues in this world like pain and, and betrayal and confusion and even death. But what we're going to be seeing week by week is that no matter what happens in this world, when God is truly your God and is at the center of your lives, it changes everything. Because in every situation, even though the world and everything around us is going to be blowing and changing, one person is greater than all of that who never changes and who will always be who he says he is, a very present help in your life, in good times and in bad, so that you don't have to be like Jeff. Now, there are two words in Psalm 1 that I want you to see that sort of describe that life, what it means to be rooted, and both of them are words that are churchy, churchy kinds of <laughs> words, or at least we use them in a very different way from the way the world does, and they are the word blessed. Do you notice it starts with that, a blessed life, and the second one is the word a prosper. Uh, blessed in some of the newer translations is often translated as happy. Happy is the one who puts God at the center of your life. And I'll tell you, it's not a, a terrible translation except for this well I guess this makes it terrible but happy for us it comes and goes right depending upon circumstances I, I'm really happy Heather and Riley I'm happy because you're here today but you're not going to be here at, later so that, does that make me unhappy happiness seems to be dependent upon external changing kinds of things but the word blessed Though it's the same kind of wonderful feeling of happiness is not based upon changing ex an external circumstances. 
It is based upon God himself. It is something that God alone gives. That when he comes into the center of your life, whatever happens out here, you know, it doesn't take away what is eternal. It's what gives substance to our lives in the midst of a difficult world. Blessedness is something that God alone can give. And of course, I hope you know that when you receive Jesus into your life, the promise is he'll never leave you or forsake you. Not only that, he will dwell within you through his Holy Spirit. And when that is the case, you you can just say, whatever happens in this world, God is greater than that. He says, when you begin to understand that when God is there, he is greater than the difficulties that you face, your life will begin to change from being chaff into being rooted. We'll just see how that plays out through, through this coming summer. The, the, the other word I want you to see is that word prosper because it says whatever you do will prosper. And you know how this plays out in our culture? <laughs> oh, good. Uh, then I'll just show up at church and have to sit through the sermon all the time, but then when I leave, I'll get to be rich because the way we think about prosperity is either in terms of rich, rich, riches or success or, or, or good health. And sometimes, when God is at the center of your life, you'll have all of those things. But it doesn't really matter, because the true thing that brings you blessedness and true prosperity is something that can never be taken away. There is um, a peace that Jesus talks about that goes beyond human understanding, even when he and we face death. Uh, The Apostle Paul would would say, I've learned to be content in any situation. In fact, he would say in Philippians chapter 4, whether I have a lot, whether I have nothing. I've learned to be be content. Do you know where he was when he wrote that? He must have been in an easy place, right? He was sitting in a prison. (laughs) He said, there is a contentment that I can have no matter how bad it is in the eyes of the world. And it comes in Christ, the one who is there, the one who gives me strength. So you you can see it, when the one is rooted in God, knows that he's always there, it turns you away from being, you know, the A.A. Milne, Winnie the Pooh, woe is me, you know, Eeyore, woe is me, and it's always bad with me, yesterday it was okay, but that doesn't last very long. It turns you from that, from woe is me, into praise be to God. Whatever's happening here, it is not going to last, because he will never leave me. And the love of Christ that is experienced when you place your faith in him is something that will never be taken away. It's the rooted life, the rooted life. Now, uh, I'm I'm sure you might ask, then how do I become more rooted than I am? So I can only say a few words, but you know the time right there, a, a few words about this today. But let me assure you, we're going to consider this week by week by week this summer. That means you've got to show up and worship with us week by week. But today, let me just show you where it begins. The key is in verse 2. Blessed is the one, one, whose delight is in the law of the Lord, the ways of God. And two, who then meditates on that way, that law, day and night. What he's saying there is this rooted life begins with who we are, and then it begins to flow out into what we do and how we choose. Who a rooted person is. We're people whose delight is in the ways, the word, the law of God. We We delight in it. 
Isn't that a strong word? Do you know what it means to delight in something? It's, it's that thing that you most deeply desire. The, the, the thing that real, really brings meaning to your life. It, it's the word that led me to the series that I have here, the title of it, Modern Longings. What is it we most long for? I, I'm just telling you, if the thing that is your greatest delight is something that can be taken away and that you've got to have, when that thing is not there, you're going to get blown away. The thing you're delighting in is absolutely lost. So what you've got to do is nail down what it is you most delight in. If it's in something in this world, your life will be blown away by every opinion, every loss, every criticism people bring, and you'll end up feeling depressed and just, I mean, your whole life will feel adrift. So when you delight in a person, don't you just want to be with that person? When you delight in a song, you want to sing that song or hear it sung. When you delight in a sport, that's the sport you want to watch. That's the sport you want to play. And, and if you delight in the ways of God, the thing that you long for the most is to hear God say to you, this is the way I would have you to live. And when you live that way, you will find great joy in it. So I, I can now imagine you, you saying, Pastor Greg, uh, I don't delight that way. How can you help me to delight more in the ways of God rather than my own ways? That's a hard question. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the question, how can I get a, a girl to delight in me more? Give me all the lists, you know, the formula. If I do this and this and this, will she delight in me more? I, I don't have a list like that. I've thought that this summer, here's what I want to do. I'm going to have people who come up and when they've gone through storm times, give a testimony of how they've been able to delight in, in God being there and, and living for him in spite of what's happening here. That's what I, that's what I hope to do. But right now, I, I only want you to see that the psalmist says that when you live a life that is directed by God and his ways, if that is your delight, then you'll find in this world your life is more rooted and less, less chaff-like. And I'll tell you this too. Those who have learned to delight the most in the Lord, I have found, are those who are most grateful for the mercy and grace of God. You'll have to think about that with me. That's just what I've found. I've told you, Father's Day for me, my dad became a Christian later in his life. I've told you about that often. He hadn't been living at all for the Lord. He'd been a professional jazz musician. <laughs> He'd been a military man, but he was, something was lacking in his life, and he gave his life to the Lord. And He said that he found that God had forgiven him of all the stuff that he would never tell me he had done. I was his son. He would never tell me that stuff. He told Brandon, but he wouldn't tell me. I, I, I don't know why. All I'll tell you is this. My father's life was marked by gratitude. He delighted in this Learning God's say, the one who sent his son, who gave his life for him to say, this is the way I would have you to live. I do think that one of the surest signs that you'll know that you're really rooted in God is that more and more, because of that gratitude, you'll just really, I mean, even, even you, I'll become a better preacher. At least you'll think I am. If you come saying, do you have anything to tell me about what God says? If you have that real openness and energy to hear what does God say, you'll want to receive it because that's what the delight of your life is. You want to live for him and not the way the world tells you to live. So that what a rooted person does is this. 
meditates day and night on the ways of God. It, it just means a way of life of thinking every day, what does God say about how I should make this choice? The, the word, Bible's word for meditation is different from the way we think about it here too. It's not the uh, new age version of emptying our minds and just saying om, om, om. It really is the opposite of that. It means filling our minds with what God has revealed about himself and how life is to be lived. How do you do that? If you're brand new to, a, to, a, to our church or any church, I, you, you may need some help to do that, but that's part of why a church is given to you, so that we can walk together and learn more. So I'll just tell you, I, I think you need to learn to read the Bible, and if you need a good Bible reading guide, we want to help you. I found uh, that, that just a good devotional guide, where maybe just a page, you have a couple of verses with some thoughts about those verses, that really helps me. I found just as much a small group where people don't just come together and talk, but actually think about and talk about the Bible together. You know, I still have one of those. Every Tuesday, I meet with our pastors. We just sit there and meditate on what the Bible says and what it might say to you and to me. And if you don't have those, I think the responsibility is to help you. So I'm going to tell you how we want to help you. I'll put uh, an email address. Do you still use email? I guess some people do. So I don't know how else to tell you to do this, so get at it this way. Just put in adults, adults at lakeav.org, adults at lakeav.org. And even if you're not an adult, if you're a child or a student, write that anyway, and we'll find some way to get you something. Because what meditation has to do, deal with is, yes, you have to learn what the Bible says, so reading it is important, but it has to be more than that. There are people who can tell you everything that's in the Bible that never live according to it at all. It really is reflecting on it, chewing on it, thinking about how it applies to each situation. And when you do it, just like the Bible comes alive, every day it seems new to me. So that if you have a group to do this with or even on your own, I have some questions up here that I sometimes ask myself as I read it through. Is there an example here of something that I should follow? And it might, often they speak right into the situation that I'm in at that day. Is there a promise here that I need to hear or maybe a directive in the text that speaks into the situation. I'm looking around. When you read the Bible and you ask this question, don't you find sometimes that it's as if God just gave you that text for, for this moment? Maybe not in First Chronicles 1. I mean, that's just a bunch of names. But as you read, read through the others, uh, three, is there a warning to me about a direction that I know I'm headed or a command that I know I should obey? I need to hear that too. So I wrote down the next one too for you. Is there a sin it shows me that I need to confess and repent of? You gotta turn around, go down God's path. And always, I never leave the word without this. Is there a reminder of God's love and grace? It's just gonna encourage me and enable me to walk out into this new day knowing that God really does give us a chance to have a mulligan <laughs> and to start today anew. See, that kind of meditation is focused, it's intense, it's ongoing, day and night, he says. It's hearing and meditating on the world with a deep desire to have it actually change the choices that I make. Oh, times, oh, let, me, let me just try really, really quickly for you now. Do you have a choice in your mind that, that's standing before you, a decision that you have to make? Will you just focus on that right now? Think about a choice that might be standing in front of you right now. Choose, instead of just thinking, what do I want to do or what everybody else is doing, 
begin to ask the question, God, what would you have me to do? I pray that even with that question, that delight in wanting to go God's way rather than your own, will begin to grow so that no matter what your own personal cravings are or what's pulling us this way or that, that the one person we fear displeasing is God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Then I so often ask, God, is there something from your word that might speak into this situation in my life? And this is where the counsel of the godly really helps me. That if I don't know, maybe some people can help me. I'm guessing that as you start down paths like that, you begin to sense, yes, this is the way I should live, and not that. Psalm 1 sets the stage for everything we're going to be seeing in the coming weeks. Do you see it? It lays down this foundation for how we live in any situation that's going to take us into. Lays down this foundation, these two ways of living. And I, I pray, gives you a deep desire inside to say, I want to live a rooted life, not a chaff-like life. And then it leads us out into the next 149 psalms that are as messy as you could ever imagine. Every issue you have ever faced, you're going to find the psalmist facing. But I'll tell you, if God is at the center of every decision that you make, if you come to him and say, I want to please you more than anything else, I'm telling you, whatever you face, you can pretty much say, bring it on, world. (laughs) Just bring it on. Because I know that the God who is my refuge and strength will not be destroyed by anything in this world because he is in me, I won't be either. Not chaff, but rooted. You see, this is my prayer that more and more this summer, yours will be a life in which um, the choices you make, those uh, noble but terrifying choices that you make, will bring you more and more blessing and flourishing And as I say each week, I pray that your life and the choices that you make will bring glory to God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Let me lead us in prayer. So Father, as you so often do and have done for centuries, take this your word, make it come alive to each one of us here. Help us to see how it applies to us. Father, that our lives may be characterized by being rooted, that blessing that you write about, that, that flourishing that you tell us about. No matter what happens with externals, that we'll know the contentment and peace that your word promises. I pray that that will be real to each one here. We need you. Speak to us today in the name of Jesus. Amen.